If you have your Bibles, turn to Hebrews 10 and Acts chapter 2. Hebrews 10, Acts chapter 2. Sometimes you do book studies where it's verse by verse and the text is always in front of us. Uh, sometimes we kind of take a topical break and, and ask what text uh, faithfully and accurately speak to this topic. And in that case, we kind of have to pick a couple uh, in this uh, second week of our series, I Love My Church. The question is this, why do we love to gather? Uh, last week was I Love to Join. We talked about the, the, uh, the formal membership, next step lunch. Uh, we talked about the membership card a little bit. We got really practical. Uh, but overall, Dave, I think, did a, a, an awesome job talking about the heart of a member. What does it mean to act like a member? Um, and so this week we look at uh, We Love to Gather, which is exactly what you're doing right now. Uh, so thank you for being here. Uh, we, we tweeted and kind of posted on social media like we do on a regular basis this morning. Something to the effect of, hey, Willoughby Church, uh, it would be ironic for you not to come to church today. Uh, so make sure to be there if at all possible because obviously some things happen. Uh, but you're, you're doing it. I'm preaching to the choir, uh, literally or figuratively speaking, but very directly related to the sermon today. You're here. Uh, so why say anything more, right? Well, uh, I'm operating under the assumption that, that me and that you uh, could, with even a more pure uh, sense of biblical commitment in the future, wake up, get dressed, and come to church. So I'm not questioning anybody's heart this morning, or, or mine even, but after uh, looking at Scripture today, the goal is that next Sunday, or even in other ways that we gather, um, having a very clear picture of what Scripture says about why we gather, that we would even have a more pure, biblically accurate and I would even say compelling uh, reason to wake up, get dressed, and come to church. And that, that's the goal, is to really ask the question, why do we gather? Um, and in, the, in, the, in the, the phraseology of our series, not just why do we gather, but why should we love to gather? Um, and we should love to gather. Um, so on the survey that, that maybe you've answered online or yet last week on paper, one of the questions was, I believe that worship services affect my personal uh, relationship with God or my personal spiritual growth, uh, something to that effect. All but six of you completely agree, uh, which means I'm talking to six of you this morning who just answered agree. Uh, no one said, I don't see the connection. No one said, sure, I guess. Uh, all but six of you said completely agree wholeheartedly, emphatically. So whoever you six are, which by the way, I don't know, and that's not the point, uh, but whoever you are, I'm talking to you this morning. Because uh, I, I would love for all of us to emphatically, and maybe you're just having a bad day, that's fine, there's no judgment, uh, I get that. But, but my heart is that we would all emphatically agree that this right here plays a massive, even critical role in our personal spiritual growth. And that'll become more and more clear as we talk this morning. Um, I saw a post yesterday that, that according to Psychology Today, I saw on psychologytoday.com, uh, yesterday was National uh, Can Your Resolution Day. According to, and this is you know, tested, proven to some degree by some people, supposedly uh, the 17th day of January is, is, is the day where on average most people go, nah, I'm not going to do this all year long. Um, so it lasts about 17 days, and, and so uh, naturally, our industry, our, 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 our world and businesses uh, take advantage of this, so none other than uh, Marble Slab and Maggie Moo's ice cream, they prey on those of us who make half-hearted, half-baked commitments to fitness, right? Because that's, 
if we're honest, whatever your resolutions were, whether you said it or not, being more healthy, uh, being stronger, uh, going to the gym more, there, there was at least a commitment to not eat this as much, right? Physical fitness is, is on there, and so naturally they, they prey on, and they're assuming that on, if, if this is the day people are ditching their commitment, I'm assuming one of them is physical fitness, in which case they're going to celebrate by coming here. And if you go up to the counter and say, I'm ditching my resolution for fitness, they give you a two-for-one ice cream. So you missed that. <laughs> you missed that yesterday, but that's a, that's a real-life story. That actually happened. Um, they do this because uh, of the, these half-hearted commitments, and maybe you've seen this firsthand in your gym uh, wherever you work out, maybe you are these people, uh, that sometime around February or March, the gym thins out. I've been at several gyms over the course of whatever, and, and, and every single year we, we see this. And sometimes it's really aggressive and obvious. Sometimes it's kind of subtle, but you go, there used to be more people, or there used to be a ton more people in here come March, right? And so whoever's left after that that didn't succumb to the temptation to celebrate and ditch it all and get two-for-one ice creams, whoever is left, there's two things that we all have in common. One, we are willing to sweat for health. We are willing to put the work in to show up, to wake up early, to make time late, and to go on a regular basis on a busy week and find time to put the work in to meet the goal that we have, right? That's obvious because they're there. So there's a, there's, a, there's a motivation that those that aren't there anymore don't, don't have. We're willing to sweat to make it work. We don't expect the, the membership paperwork by the guy who, who, who talked us into personal training and other classes, right? Uh, we, we don't expect that the paperwork to turn into and translate into bigger biceps. We don't expect the, the, the withdrawal that comes out of our checking account to translate into a healthier heart. We know that that's the front door. It takes that commitment, and then it takes showing up. Simple, but yet profound, right? Another thing we all have in common, from March on, whoever's left anyways, we have a commitment to put the work in. The second thing is, we get our best results whenever we're a part of a group or a team, at least a buddy system, accountability, workout, partner situation. Uh, I think this goes for most people, and I, I'd like 90-something percent. This is certainly true for me. The three times that I could put a, my finger on uh, the, the parts or times in my life where I was in the best shape, uh, the first I would say high school, which is easy to be in your best shape of your life in high school, uh, but I was on a team, and, and coach made you run. The second time was with, uh, it, was, it was a couple years after college, a few years after college, and it was me and two other guys uh, doing uh, P90X, Anybody heard of P90X before? Pretty insane workout. Even yoga will kick your butt and make you sweat and leave a a puddle on the floor. And we did that for a straight year. Best shape of my life at that point. And then I would say even just a handful a couple years ago with a workout partner named Roger. Uh, these, These are just truths. Whenever we're surrounded by encouragement, accountability, we get our best results. Uh, These two things are are not new whenever we compare them to the spiritual life. If you have read uh, much of the New Testament, you realize that Paul compares our our physical training, that he calls it, beating my my body like like a boxer, like a runner. He uses all these metaphors to compare and to illustrate our commitment to godliness. Here's the implication. You You will sweat spiritually as you grow in God, right? You will sweat spiritually. What First Timothy 4, 8 says, he says this, Paul does, 
Uh, he says, physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. And, and, and just uh, what he's saying here is in, in our situation is a commitment to gym attendance in many ways. In many ways, a couple that we'll look at this morning illustrates a biblical commitment to church attendance. Uh, scripture will show us two reasons why you should love to be here right now. We're going to look at two reasons why maybe next week you'll have more of a pep in your step, a smile on your face to wake up, get dressed, and come to church or gather with believers this morning because there are some strong parallels that we see that there's work to put in for our own physical fitness, and we get our best results when we're surrounded by the encouragement and accountability of others. A quick uh, clarification before we jump into Hebrews 10 and look at the first reason uh, is what do we mean when we say church gathering? When when that says, I love to gather, what what are we talking about? Well, first of all, two things. One, when we say church, we're talking about believers meeting together for worship around God's word to pursue holiness and service. We're talking about believers meeting for worship and around God's word to pursue holiness and service. That's what we're here for, right? Ultimately, it takes different shapes, but... But the, the reason never changes. Second thing I would say in clarification is that uh, though Sunday morning is our primary and for most of us the initial gathering for, the, for a church, this, all these reasons and all these things that we're going to talk about and see in Scripture absolutely apply to life groups, Bible studies, men's retreats, women's retreats, men's Bible studies on Friday, Egg and I, shameless plug. Like, any time believers get together, these reasons apply. However, we would agree Sunday morning is kind of the primary initial, where it flows from, where our corporate worship is the loudest, so to speak. So if you have your Bibles and you're turning to, you're already there, Hebrews 10, let's look at the first reason. This is more of a personal reason why we should love to gather, and that is our own salvation. And I would even say we love to gather for our full and for your Full salvation. This is a personal reason. And it even sounds, and even as I read it, it seems like an overstatement, but bear with me. Scripture is very clear and even encouraging when it talks about our salvation as a process that we will be saved, period. But the Lord curiously has a lot of work for us to do along the way, right? And the greatest environment for that work to be done, the working out of our, of our salvation is the church. So for the fullness of our salvation, we love to gather. Hebrews 10, 23 and 20 through 25 says, let us hold fast to the confession of hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day, the coming of Christ drawing near. Um, there are verses before this and verses after this that, that you should consider that we just don't have time to go into. The, the point, though, is that this passage as a whole directly is not about church attendance. It's not about, so there we just read verse 25, so everybody keep coming to church and don't miss church on Sunday. He's talking about your salvation. He's talking about my salvation. Uh, and, and he's, though it's not about church attendance, not directly, uh, it's about our salvation with some curiously important commands built into that. Though he says he is faithful, he still tells us to hold fast. Um, stir up, encourage, meet together, which we'll camp out on here in a minute. 
Don't throw away your confidence, he goes on to say. That's something you and I do with our will and with our desires that, by the way, God gives us. He tells us to endure. That's an action item. That, that's, a, that's a strong command, isn't it? He tells us to have faith. And before long, verses like Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 should come rushing to our mind as, as saved by grace people that says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, not uh, of yourself, for this is a gift of God, not as a result of any works so that no one may boast. So the question is, is it all the holding on, enduring, and all the, 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 the perspiration and the per- preservation, the, the perseverance, what is it? Because it's either that or it's God's grace that, that saves me. And the question is, uh, which, and, and I think that's the wrong question for us because Scripture makes it a lot more clear as it's kind of a, a both and. The holding on, enduring, every other command here is the, the human side, for lack of a better term, of our eternal security. It's not something we do to keep ourselves saved, certainly not to save Ourself. There's nothing you can do to save you. There's no sermon I could preach to save you. But, but rather, by doing these things, we prove that we have been saved. The doctrine of the perseverance of the saints is a paradox. And maybe you've heard of the doctrine of election. They're both a paradox. We'll use the doctrine of, of election as an example. On one hand, clearly in Scripture, God sovereignly calls a man... On the other hand, clearly in Scripture, but he saves no one who doesn't believe. In terms of the the perseverance of the saints, your eternal security in Christ, God's salvation, the event, the day, the time where you trusted Jesus, his salvation is eternal. On the other hand, we have a lot of responsibility in terms of obedience, don't we? If, If we didn't, why... Read your Bible. Pray for more patience. By the way, that's a dangerous prayer to pray. If he's not leaving some responsibility on this side of the table, why do we teach God's word and admonish, encourage, stir up, and and challenge from the truth of God's word that, that, by the way, we should know and read for ourselves and God ordains the preaching of God's word through an imperfect vessel that God's church might be built up. What's that about? If God does the saving, if he's the one doing the work, then what is our work doing? And our work is simply working out the salvation he's put in. God's sovereignty doesn't exclude man's responsibilities. Uh, Philippians 2, 2, 12 and 13, some of the verses on the screen during our worship this morning or the the same chapter anyways. Uh, Philippians 2, 12 and 13 help us understand this paradox a bit more. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That's, that's our part, as, as much as we can tell. And then verse 13 says, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his great pleasure. Our sanctification, our growing in godliness, is, it's the working out of his work already done in us. It's the working out of the gift of salvation given to us. And here's the point. What's the best environment, arena, field? What's the best place to, to do that, that working out of our salvation? It's called the church with other believers. Well, no, it's evangelism. Well, well it's evangelism without the church. Well, it's, it's, I, I can do that with my family. Well, are you, are, is your family a spiritual family? What's, what's living as believers 
without living as believers among believers, that the best environment for that personal spiritual growth that we are called to, that doesn't save us, it, it, yet it, it proves our salvation. Because Philippians clearly tells us, do you, is it you that desire godliness? No, it's God in you. And though we do a lot of things along the way, you know what's happening? God is orchestrating all the work that we do, and he will get us. We will endure. We will persevere. But God curiously provides us with some, I almost call it the, 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 perspir- the perspiration of the saints, the doctrine of the perseverance of the saints. We will persevere. He will see that we endure but there's a lot of work along the way. There's a clear connection is the point between church attendance, gathering with believers, and God's work in our lives. That salvation is both an event and also very much a process. We are saved, but we're also very much being saved for those who endure, right? And to do that without the church doesn't make any sense. To do that without gathering with believers doesn't make any sense. And, and so here's the, the safety valve is that built into our salvation is a desire to grow in godliness. Built into our salvation is an internal desire for accountability and confession of sin. Built into our salvation is everything we need to work out in obedience, everything he calls us to do. Uh, John Piper, an author, a pastor, says eternal security is a community project. To be clear, not because God needs it to be, but because he's ordained it that way. This is the value, the purpose of the church in your life. You are so important to my salvation. Not because God needs you to be, but because that's how he set it up. That for me to live as a believer and grow in godliness takes you. And yours takes me and the person sitting next to you. This is a thought that should run through our mind. We should love to gather because gathering is a step. It's an, it's an avenue. It's an environment of our sanctification that leads us to enduring till the end and being fully saved. It's no small thing. The second reason we, we shift into more practical territory. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 2. Verse 42 through 47, this might be the other really typical church attendance and gathering together uh, passage that we see. This is the first church, a very extraordinary church in terms of impact and what happened and certainly how God used it in that time, amazing. But a very ordinary church in terms of what they did. What they did when they met together, when they gathered. Let's, let's read in verse two, verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belonging and distributing the, uh, the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. 
Everything you know, everything I know in this world uh, has to change in order to be kind of reinvented, in order to survive. And even then, it doesn't survive ultimately. Everything we know on this side of, of heaven or the new earth or eternity breaks down, doesn't it? Everything. Except for, as Dave mentioned, this is one of the reasons we join the church for eternity. Because then we get to be a part of something that doesn't ever need to change. It's never going to break. It's never going to stop. And so the things that we see in Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, are the, the same things that we do at Willowbend Church today. The same thing that, that any church that's a true church does today. We see things like Bible teaching. Uh, the fellowship of believers, communion, prayer, meeting felt needs. We see life groups in there, believe it or not. Home groups, having people over, praising God, evangelism. We see repentance and baptism because they were true to that to the point where you're saved, you get baptized, and in order to be saved, you repent. These are the things that make up a church, and these things don't ever need to change. So in terms of impact extraordinary, right? In terms of what they did when they gathered, the nature of the church, very ordinary. Nothing real fancy. Not a lot of gimmicks. Not a lot of human effort in terms of growth or attraction. Very ordinary. There were some things that, that occurred uh, in kind of an extraordinary degree uh, based on what the church was up to at the time. And you see things like daily meeting in the temple, daily growth, aggressive, super sacrificial distribution of goods. Some of this was very much for a, a limited a time because you have to remember there's about 3,120 plus believers at this point, right? Peter preaches at Pentecost. 3,000 were added to the 120 that we know about. Certainly some more tacked on. And certainly by the end of this passage, there's more being added daily. And so whenever a lot of these people travel as a pilgrimage to the Feast of, of First Fruits, Pentecost, and they get saved, they don't want to go anywhere. And so these guys are poor because they've made a pilgrimage. Some of these guys are poor because of their newly found uh, confession in Christ, and so there's persecution happening. We know that they met in homes, so not everyone, it wasn't communism, and they didn't, it wasn't socialism. They didn't give up everything and put it all in a pile and then take what they needed. Some people still had homes. It wasn't about that. But some very much were, were poor, and some didn't have a lot of time. They were milking the time with the new early church as much as possible. And, and so every one of these things that we read, though some continued for a short time in extraordinary degree, still every one of these continued in, in, a, in a very sustainable way in the early church to today. Tell me something that's lasted that long without ever needing to change an aspect or an element of its operation. Nothing does. Um, Matthew Henry, a commentator that, that I respect and, and, and like, he says the Christian spirit is not a selfish spirit. It puts upon us the pitying or the, the cherishing, the loving of others, visiting them, helping them, pleading for them. This is the same spirit that, that our 9 o'clock uh, Acts Bible study ha have been looking at. This is really fresh to you guys studying the early church, the, the, the crazy expansion and explosion of the early church, the spirit of just simple but powerful commitment to one another and to the church, to what Jesus started. It's a beautiful picture. It's this spirit that leads to God's and to God's people, rather, full satisfaction. 
you read 42 through 47, it's hard to imagine a more joyful, satisfied group of people on the planet because there shouldn't be. Going back to the, the first point that gathering together is, is the, it's the environment, the best environment that God ordained to carry out the process of salvation. So not only is gathering in the church, not only is gathering the active ingredient of your sanctification, gathering as the church is also the gift God has given you for your full satisfaction. Your full satisfaction. I think the church of God, the people of God, should be the most satisfied people on the planet. Every need should be met. Well, what kind of needs do believers have? Uh, well, it's newsflash. The same list of needs that everyone else on the planet has, and that's kind of how it was ordained, that Christ might meet all those needs, and we would find everything that we are all looking for in Him. We have physical needs. We have uh, emotional needs. We have spiritual needs. And the giving of the gifts uh, to God's people to operate the local church, the, the people coming alongside each other, doing life together as, as a church, the way Scripture tells us to, meets every single one of the needs of God's church. Again, does God need the church to meet all of our needs? Uh, short answer is no. But this is the beauty of the church because this is how He ordains it. He chooses to use the church as the, the vehicle, the environment of our continued growth in Him. He, he, he chooses to use this church, the people in this room, to meet the needs of the other people of this church and in this room. He ordains it. That's why we should love to gather, because here's the question. What do I have that meets a need that you have? And then we must flip that around. What do you have that meets a need that, that I have? Um, if you look in Scripture, there's about 40 to 50 uh, uh, mentions of one another's. Uh, have you heard of that before? The one another's. Here's, do this with one another. Do this for one another. These are the one another's, a community uh, uh, testifying uh, uh, verses and, and commands that, that remind us, point to the fact that you need me and I need you, whether you like it or not. You need me, I need you. And here's a couple of examples. When we ask the question, what, what if we forsook and, and, and dropped our commitment to meet together? Then here's a couple questions that we'd be left with. Who will you out-love? Uh, Romans 12.10, what I mean is this. Love one another with brotherly or sisterly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. That has the connotation, the sense of competition. Bob, you showed me love. You bought my lunch. You know what? Not because I feel like I owe you, but because I want to. This is fun for me. This is a, this is a I love you more tennis match, and I'm going to buy your lunch next time, and I'm going to add an appetizer to it, right? And, then, and we're going to get tea instead of water next time. Ha, gotcha, right? And this is not because of any imbalance emotionally, and, and I feel better, greater, or that I scratch an itch that I have selfishly. This is because we have in us the love for God's people. Dave mentioned this last week. Why do we join? Why do we love to join? We're a part of Christ's church. How can we love Jesus without loving the bride of Christ? We love the church, and what that means is we will love the people in the church. If you're a believer, I don't care how many minutes I've known you, I, I love you, and, I, and it sounds weird, and I really can't even explain it, and neither can you. There's a connection because we love the church. We want to outdo. We have families in our life group that, that are involved in these love tennis matches, right? 
uh, they watch their kids and they take their kids to donuts the next morning and uh, they bring a thoughtful gift and so they return the favor and they give a, a used bike that's perfectly fitted and, and so they take care of the other when they're sick. They jump on that chance. I hear they're sick. Let's take them soup. This is not imbalanced. This is not unhealthy. This is purely motivated out of a healthy sense of comp- competing for one another's, not for one another's love, but to love one another. Another question, if if you don't gather with believers, here's another question. Who will you be held accountable to? James 5, 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you'll be forgiven of your sin, no. That you'll be saved, no. But that you'll be healed. To mend relationships, to heal emotionally. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. When I think of accountability, I I, I think about the men's retreat. I think about women's retreat. Uh, We went on a men's retreat yesterday. Here's a quick, really cool sky kind of picture from a drone that we took a picture of women's ministry. Eat your heart out. Uh, Try flying a drone on your retreat. Uh, You're going to do other things that we don't do, clearly. Um, But but that's a group of guys that we spend... A couple of days with, and all of a sudden, there, there's a sense of, and, and I, we didn't do any public confessing of sin, uh, but we built relationships that, that lend themselves to holding each other accountable. Scripture that talks about iron sharpening iron, right? The, w- being in the same room with those guys, having spiritual conversations, shooting guns with those guys, and hanging out and doing manly things with those guys forces me back into my house with none of them present, wanting to be a better husband. Wanting to be a better father, all in the context of honoring Jesus more, because I spent time with men who have the same goal. I have the, my, my best results spiritually when I'm, when I'm following Jesus and being pointed back to Jesus with, with other men around me, holding me accountable and encouraging me. So who will you do that if you're not gathering? Who will you invite over? First Peter 4, 9 says, Be hospitable to one another without complaint. Hosting a life group that we have a lot of hosts. Uh, we have to pray through the whole without complaining thing. Uh, just joking. Uh, but, but even if you don't have the gift of hospitality, you're still called to be hospitable. Uh, you just have to grit your teeth and pray more. Uh, because this is for all of us. Who, who do you have over? When's the last time you've lit the fireplace for company? Or you, you put candles around your house. You cleaned your house because company was coming. Or when's the last time you've expressed hospitality to God's people? When's the last time you've shared? Let me back up. When it talks about hospitality, I I remember the women's ministry is meeting at the Bolas' house next week. I mean, that's huge. 30 women. By the way, I think the event's closed. I think we're kind of maxed out on that, and Debbie will let you know if more room opens up, by the way. But hosting 30 women? Talk about 1 Peter 4.9. That's huge. Uh, Last thing is, last question is, if you're not involved, you're not gathering, who will you share your stuff with, your goods, the resources, the surplus? Because let's face it, 90-something percent of us are beyond rich on the world's scale. We are loaded. I tell my kids all the time, we are so, so wealthy. Our, house, our cars have houses. We are so... Is that the first time you've heard that? My two cars, two cars that the Lord has provided me the ability to, to have and to, to pay for, two cars. I have two cars and they have a house. Let's never forget that. Can we never forget that? I know where I'm standing. I know I'm in North Dallas. I know I'm in Florida. I don't think that should have any bearing 
on the willingness to give. It was cool at Life Group. Uh, one person said, my phone's broke. My husband's about to travel. I just need a new phone. I'm kind of worried. Here's kind of my situation. Here's why. I haven't done this and this. I'd love a phone. Within a minute, 60 seconds tops, one woman from our life group goes to a drawer. She was hosting us. It was her drawer, her house. Picks up a phone, <laughs> the same kind of phone that this other woman had, had hers had broken and needed and, and, or had before experience and, and comfortable with, pulled out of a drawer and said, here you go. And she would then immediately after that get instructions on how to switch a SIM card and, and I assume, and they're, they're here this morning, and this story would be awful if they said, yeah, it didn't work out. But here's the point. Here's the point. They were willing to give something that, I mean, you go to those machines, you drop your old phones in, you at least get 50 bucks, right? Willing to share your extra. Someone else in our life group uh, bought a new Apple TV, only to find out he'd been wanting this for months, only to find out that the TV he had didn't work with his new Apple TV that he had begged his parents for Christmas for or whatever. I think he got it for Christmas. Well, it just so happens he's got this Apple TV there chilling there that he can't use. Well, someone else in our life group had just upgraded TVs. Someone that a mutual friend overheard it doesn't work, and so this person calls and says, hey, just take my old TV. Small thing, right? But that's meeting a need because we're willing to share and to give and consider everything we have the people of, of God, it's yours, it's mine, the gifts I have, that the resources, the stuff, it's ours. To the point where, where one commentator said, one must consider the discouragement he brings to the Christian church when he deliberately absences himself from its service. But enough about why we don't come to church, because this is why we do gather. We do gather. I love to gather for your full satisfaction. You should love to gather for my full satisfaction. What that means is I have a need for someone to watch my kids while we're over here. You serve in the kids' ministry. You've got teenagers, and you need help partnering with your family to help train your, your students to love Jesus. Well, work in our, our students' our student ministry. This facility needs to look decent. Not even decent. It needs to look good when people come and visit. So you, you serve, you show up early, and you vacuum, pick up trash, and mow and things that we do. We meet every single need that arises in this room, not because we're good enough, because we trust the Lord has put all the people with the right pocketbook, the right ability spiritually, the right temperament, the right heart, to then meet every single need we have. One day, somehow, maybe we'll figure out a way to say, here's our needs and here's our extras, and they'll match perfectly. Good luck ever making that happen. Maybe we'll try. But I think that's what goes on. Here's, here's the heart, right? We, we have a, a boot camp, a, a, a physical fitness boot camp starting on Fridays here. Um, in February, you'll hear more about it. Alex Rios is, is going to lead that. She's, she's a, that's my timer, almost done. She is a, a, a slave driver of a physical fitness person. Oh my gosh, she'll kick your butt. So don't show up if you don't want to shed pounds or whatever. But I love how you said, please come if, not, if, if you want to just hang out or fellowship or if you also want to work your tail off, right? As important as that is to Alex, she would tell you as a new believer, by the way, that, that uh, your spiritual sweat is, is worth way more. She would agree with Paul than your physical sweat. This is great, and, and it works and it helps, makes life even better. And, and even to have a value of that so that we can more faithfully for a longer period of time 
fulfill the commands God, is, God has for us. Like physical fitness is great. She would even, even say more, but she would agree that spiritual fitness is, is, is better. Yet, yet some of us, we have a more formal commitment to physical health than to showing up at church sometimes. Maybe it's a season of life. Maybe that's just where you're at. And the heart here is um, because there are spiritual ice cream stores. There are spiritual alternatives to gathering. There are alternatives that might tempt and lure us away and, make, and give us discounts on what else we could get done, right? I'm the same way. There are Sundays where maybe I wouldn't be here if I didn't have to preach. Can I just be honest? Weekends are weekends for me too. I have a house. I have kids too. And so I'm not judging anybody, but I'm saying we're in this together. And even when I'm here, the question for me is, is my heart here? Do I, do I highly value coming together because it accomplishes the work of salvation that God is doing as a process in my life and I have something that you might need? And you know what? You've got something that I need, so I love to gather. Here's 10 practical tips. And you might want to write these down. If you haven't been taking notes, uh, the second one might be kind of convicting. Um, but <laughs> thank you for laughing. Here's 10 practical tips, and then we're going to pray. Uh, first is be 10 minutes early. And I'll just say be early to worship, Bible study, life group. Here's why. Get a cup of coffee, have a conversation. Okay? Uh, these aren't in the Bible. A lot of these have biblical principles, all right? But that's not in the Bible. And, and I'm not thinking, that, well, that was already on my list before you came in late today, just so you know. I don't have a list of people who, <laughs> who showed up late and went, oh, I need to. You don't even do this on an iPad, but whatever. Um, number two, take notes during the sermon. Uh, when I'm sitting right there and I, I write in my Bible when, when our senior pastor preaches, here's what's going through my mind. Sometimes, I wasn't asking questions about this topic. I already know the, the, the context of this passage. and blah, 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 blah. I don't even know a Greek word or two from this passage. What's he going to teach me? Here's the point. I, I love, so I, I run that through my brain, then I throw it in the trash can. Then I, here's what I tell myself, that I trust that God spoke to my pastor this week and that God might say something through him this week right? I'm not up here with spirit with, with, with fancy human wisdom right now. And neither is anyone who steps on this stage. Number three, give away your excess resources, which takes taking inventory. What do you have extra before you donate at Plano, Frisco, Resale, whatever? Take inventory. Pray that you might run into someone in your community of faith here that might need something. Four is trust other believers with the needs in your life so that they may even have the chance to give. Number five, pray by name for the people you gather with. Number six, have people over to your house. Number seven, listen to the story of people you don't relate with. You go to the gym, there's people all over the map. Again, the gym seems like a really cheap surface illustration. It's a pretty powerful parallel. Last week I saw a guy doing inverted pull-ups with 15 feet away, an elderly woman wrist curling three pound dumbbells. And so I'm going, but here's what they have in common. They know they need to put the work in to get healthier today. Even though they can't relate in a gym, we, had, we have something the gym doesn't. And Howard, I'm going to use you as an example. I've loved getting to know Howard. Howard, I hope this is obvious, but you and I are very different. Howard wears more ties than I do. Howard has experienced life and loss like I haven't. 
Um, Howard spends his days differently than I do. But man, I, I love our, our quick little, uh, and then at, at, at Bible study, sometimes longer conversations about what you're going through and how life is. If we don't do that as the church, we're, we're missing the beautiful mosaic of the people here. I don't relate. We spend our days differently. We, we talk differently. It doesn't matter. Get, get through that. You'll, you'll find something really beautiful. Find a need to meet and, and a place to serve in your church. Invite someone new to your church. And the last thing I'll end with this, and I think this is a thread that runs throughout, is read your Bible and pray on a daily basis. If you think about it, we gather around God's Word, both the incarnate Word, Jesus, and we gather around His, His revealed, written Word, right? If you take that out, what are we singing about? What in the world am I talking about? How are we encouraging? What, what's the content of our encouragement? If you take out the Word of God, we have none. And if you're going to show up to church, if you're going to show up to gather and have something to contribute, then you need to be familiar, even strong, in God's Word. You just need to. And if you don't have that strength and confidence in the Word of God, then, then you're in the right place. And the point would then be to accept it, receive it, and contribute the same as you go forward. Let's pray.